Hello and welcome to the IMB podcast brought to you by the communications office and student media cell of IIM Bangalore. The podcast series aims to become a platform to discuss the latest business, economic, management and social issues that matter. The podcast will witness the IIM Bangalore fraternity including but not limited to the faculty members, students and alumni provide their insights and perspectives to the topics and issues that surround us while gender inclusion at workplaces is widely discussed and studied underrepresentation of women is still a reality to know more about the subject and understand the salient factors which are more important for female applicants in jobs today we have with us professor debulina datta from the organizational behavior and human resources management department of iim bangalore who in her recent research has conducted a mixed method study on determining important predictors of job pursuit intention across gender groups we welcome you professor to the imb podcast and we look forward to the meaningful discussion on this topic thanks a lot uh, thanks all of you and uh, very happy to be here happy that students would be interested in aspects of research and yeah um, let's looking forward to this thank you professor so i will just dive into our first question we would want to know why gender inclusion is so important for profit making companies what are the competitive advantages an organization has by bringing around diversity can you also cite an example from your research to explain the same there are three lenses from which we can look at this right one is uh, from the lens of uh, if 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 an organization wants to be doing the socially responsible thing of uh, you know addressing uh, marginalized communities or or un, you know underrepresented communities at the workplace uh, if you think about it uh, women are 50% of the population but um, organizations best in class uh, gender diversity statistics indicate they're at you know about in, you know upward of 20 to 30% at best um there seems to be equal representation at the at the entry level but then it is off as we get to the top uh so the the thing is you know women have constantly been uh, underrepresented in the workforce even though they are part of uh, the they're more than 50 they are 50% of the population uh so you know organizations look look to correct that balance uh the second uh, issue is that if you look at it even if from the sense of Uh, you know that these are potential consumers and with high purchasing power uh, as consumers you need to make sure you understand their needs and their uh, preferences and therefore having them as part of uh, you know your value proposition and in terms of how you're creating value for the consumers you know they are an important contributor uh today uh, you know with a huge war for talent uh, you know there is immense potential and you know for for organizations to leverage uh, the extremely educated and qualified workforce which is there so that's the uh, the you know 
couple of reasons why organizations are looking at uh, gender diversity as a whole. So ma'am, we would also want to know if this gender-based divergent career preferences are prevalent only in India. How do you think other countries are different in this context? So yes, my study was based on about uh, 2,084 professionals, uh, working professionals in India. Um, but you know, one can argue and say that you know the needs and preferences of workforce inherently are the same across the world. Could be marginal sociological differences in terms of how people um, may look at it. But my my guess is that. Uh, the things, I mean, the, you know, the findings of my study would be would be uh, fairly accurate across uh, all countries and cultures. Professor, as you mentioned that there are these widespread inequalities in participation globally, what do you think are the challenges that women in higher management roles face? And how do you think we can overcome them? I think whether you know, we acknowledge it or not, women inherently have dual careers. So, and this is not true just of India. Uh, you know, there's a study which happened in America, which has been, uh, uh, you know, in the forefront of uh, trying to drive gender equality in the workplace. And they looked at, uh, there's a study in the Harvard papers, which talked about, you know, three decades of, of research on women uh, in the workplace, and they found women still being upper, uh, underrepresented in, in in spite of, uh, you know, there's so much of awareness and so much of uh, activism towards gender equality. Uh, plain and simple reason is, you know, women do have, a, you know, the, 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 the dual responsibility of uh, providing care uh, uh, of, of you know, family, uh, elder care, uh, and and you know, looking after the home, which to some extent is, I think, is changing very slowly now. Uh, I mean, some men are coming forward and taking part in it, but at the end of the day, uh, it 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 is mostly in all cases, uh, you know, the responsibility of the women. Very rarely do we hear instances of, you know, let's say if the husband gets transferred somewhere else, uh, you know that the husband refuses the offer and says, no, I'm going to stay with, or the wife gets a job somewhere else, the husband follows. It's kind of very rare to hear that, even in our country. Right? And I think I think these challenges, unless they're major shift in the societal uh, norms and expectations, I don't see that really changing, very unfortunately, very quickly. So ma'am, you have talked about person-organization fit theory in your paper. Can you please explain what is the theory about and what do you think organizations can do in terms of their policies and work culture to make it a better fit for females? You know, when you look at recruitment uh, and organizations, um, fundamentally, when they hire people, there are two types of fit that they look for. Uh, the first thing is what we call as the person job fit, which is where we say that um, you know, it does the skill match. So if I'm looking for, let's say, a Java engineer. Does that person have enough experience as a, as, as, as in, in Java to qualify for that role? So that's the just the skill part of it, right? Uh, the second fit that uh, organizations look for uh, is what we call as the uh, culture fit, uh, or what in theory is referred to as the person organization fit. 
this talks about the value congruency that the organization uh, and the individual may have. Uh, things that are important to the individual and are, do they align with what the organization value systems are? Uh, a lot of organizations try and assess that through, you know, the, the personal interview, the motivation questions, try and understand the kind of fit and aspirations. That is that something that an organization can deliver on? So that's what we mean by person organization fit. There are many things that organizations are doing. Uh, um, you know, let's start from uh, the recruitment perspective, right? I mean, uh, you know, if you organizations which are taking affirmative action towards gender inclusivity are mandating that um, you know there has to be, uh, at, if not equal, then may, or or maybe even higher representation of women applicants in the a pipeline and and so that's something that you know they're they're incentivizing um, agencies or even employee referrals with a higher payout when uh, you know women are referred uh, so that's on the bringing in the pipeline uh, you know having enough representation of women candidates in the interviews phase the second thing which is more important is a lot of organizations are forced uh, are um, uh, focusing on um, you know, uh, recruitment training to remove gender biases and therefore, um, you know, the unconscious bias which comes in, you know, these these really awkward questions you'll get about, oh, you're getting married or when are you planning to get married? I mean, ask specifically of women because it's not asked of these are These are, these are just the unconscious biases which uh, hiring managers may manifest uh, you know, which is an indication of their um, skepticism or maybe some concern around, uh, you know, women's commitment to the job. Uh, so there's this huge amount of training being done by a lot of progressive organizations about what can, cannot be asked. I've heard of a few instances of organizations where they remove all aspects of identity from the resume. And, you know, so there's no uh, there's no identifiers in terms of gender or age or any other uh, demographic traits which uh, can then therefore you know bias in terms of a shortlist. And then we've talked about the interviewing process, right? Uh, so that's on the you know selection side. Then when you get into having women in the workforce, then you know how do you make it an enabling environment? How do you provide uh, support and systems? Um, for instance, uh, given that we acknowledge that women have dual careers, uh, is there an again a subconscious bias towards, um, you know, in, in let's say in your performance evaluation where face time is rewarded? Now, if you're rewarding face time, you know, women are at like come five o'clock, are going to pack their bags and go. They're not going to be hanging around and staying till six or seven or eight because they just have to get back to their second careers. So if face time starts getting rewarded, then you know the perception that somebody who's staying late is working harder, you know, is something which is which manifests in performance management system. So, you know, some organizations are uh, you know trying to work on on that front to say, you know, let's remove some of that bias in the performance management. Uh, 
Because what that does is even if you bring in women and even let's, and we see this at an entry level, right? I mean, even at an entry level, women are coming in, they're coming in at a at level playing field. Uh, but as they progress in the career, the uh, as they progress in their career, they are, um, you know, the, the, the gender pay equity starts, inequity starts, right? I mean, they, you start seeing the reward they get, the promotion opportunities they get is less. So is that, you know, that's, sometimes a manifestation of how the biases are coming across in, in, in your performance review and um, uh, reward systems. Um, and, uh, and coming to this whole gender pay equity, I mean, it's enough has been written about it. It's very, very well established that uh, gender pay equity exists. Some of it, I think, is cultural in terms of, you know, the way women, if you come, if you just talk about negotiation, right? Women generally do not hard negotiate on compensation when they're recruiting, whereas men do. Uh, so, you know, sometimes because of that, that uh, we have this uh, lack. And the sec second reason is could be a fallout of how organizations are doing their performance management and reward systems where the women then start lagging behind. So organizations that are on the forefront of gender diversity and inclusivity have, uh, you know, taken this up and, and, and looked to bridge that gap. So apart from the merit increase that they provide as a standard method, they have provided a kitty where uh, the gender parity, um, you know, the, the, the wage disparity is addressed. And uh, they try and bridge that gap. So these are signals that they're de doing to say that they genuinely want to correct what has been going wrong for so long. Uh, of course, uh, having said all of that, uh, very strong enabling systems um, to help women, you know, it can be uh, support systems in terms of uh, providing childcare, providing, you know, creche, providing uh, flexi working, uh, you know, those are things which are enabling systems. Uh, you can also, uh, as some organizations are getting progressive in terms of job sharing to say that, okay, uh, you know, we know you can't do a full day. Let's let's get you to do half a day, and you know, and we'll we'll work that out. Um, organizations are looking at upskilling women, and you know, before they when they take a break because of maternity leave, uh, so that they come back. Uh, you know, women come back at, at, at uh, to the workforce. They're fully equipped for the jobs they're going to deliver, for the levels they're going to deliver. So they're kind of these mechanisms that they put in place, and of course. Very, very strong uh, scaffolding of, um, you know, of whistleblowing of, um, you know, reporting any unethical behavior, uh, any sense of harassment, um, you know, which is which which these are systems which enable women. Uh, last and not but the least, I think the strongest signal that organizations send out. Uh, is when they have enough uh, representation of women uh, in their uh, leadership of uh, roles, and 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 this should go beyond HR because somehow many organizations manifest gender diversity and inclusivity at a leadership level by having one person, which is invariably just the HR person in the CXO team. But uh, progressive organizations, and you're seeing the you know the organizations that are leading from the front actually have a lot of women in. Some of the you know more male dominated functions, so to speak, and you know they are the ones who are really seen because they're signaling that yes, 
you know, they are taking um, cognizance of this and they're trying their best to have uh, women leadership at, uh, you know, women representation at a leadership level. Summing up all that we have discussed, it is very difficult for women to break through these biases and carve a position for themselves. In such a scenario, what do you think women at higher management roles can do to uplift other women around them? I think, uh, you know, women who have reached leadership level in organizations in any function acknowledge that it's not been an easy journey. Uh, I think they are the first ones to um, empathize and support more enabling systems, a more fairer culture. Um, and they stand up for discrimination in any form. So uh, I think at least that's been my experience of it. In terms of women coming into the workplace, I think some of the mindset, uh, I think women need to shed also. Uh, there really isn't any role that women, you know, women can't do. Uh, you're, you're finding uh, tremendous success stories of women uh, even in an extremely male-dominated uh, environment, let's say, as the defense forces, and they're doing very, very well even there. Uh, so there is really no function that, you know, women uh, cannot step into. I think women need to break the belief system that, oh, this role is not meant for women. So I think that's one thing women need to go again into, like, things like, I mean, I perennially struggled, for instance, uh, to to find women, you know, ready to take on sales roles. Uh, and I don't understand why women would feel that no. So I think women need to be their own. Uh, if they feel that th there's an opportunity and they're good at it, they should just take it up and not be driven by, oh, these roles are meant for women and these roles are meant for men. Thank you so much, Professor Datta, for your time today to enlighten our listeners on this topic. It was an interesting and informative discussion, which we are sure our audience will enjoy. It was really a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much for inviting me and uh, yeah, may the tribe of women in the workforce increase. Thank you. <laughs>